term, supporting democracies and the anti-corruption agenda. And the fourth priority, as we see it, is the diversity, equity, and inclusion um, and accessibility activities. All this is done within the context of a changing geopolitical landscape. And USAID has, uh, was placed on the NSC officially, which has elevated our role. Hello and welcome to Goalmakers, a podcast about world affairs and global development as told from the perspective of leaders, experts, and practitioners. Goalmakers is produced by Global Washington, a network of nonprofit, for-profit, and funder organizations working to improve lives in low- and middle-income countries. To learn more, visit us at www.globalwa.org. I'm your host, Joel Myers, Director of Communications for Global Washington. In this next episode of Goalmakers, we hear all about the recent and upcoming changes to USAID under the Biden-Harris administration. At our annual conference in December 2021, Kristen Daly, Executive Director of Global Washington, interviewed Michelle Sumulas, the Assistant to the Administrator at USAID. Michelle talks about how USAID is committed to new ways of doing their work the shift in their priorities given the changing geopolitical landscape, and how they are increasing focus on partnerships, gender equity, shifting leadership to local actors, DEI, and a whole lot more. I am honored to have with us today, Michelle Sumilas from USAID. Michelle is the assistant to the administrator of the Bureau of Policy Planning and Learning and her department shapes USAID's development policy and programming guidance. This really ensures that the agency's work is grounded in evidence and reflects the most advanced thinking in international development. Michelle's government experience also includes past positions as USAID's chief of staff and deputy chief of staff during the Obama administration. And she's been on the House Subcommittee on State and Foreign Operations. Prior to her current position at USAID, Michelle was the executive director for Bread for the World. Michelle has also worked at the Gates Foundation and the Global Health Council. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us here today. I'm honored to have this conversation with you and learn more about AID's vision and strategy. Thank you, Kristen, and hello, everyone. It's really nice to see so many former colleagues, um, and I know many of you spoke earlier on the program and will speak tomorrow. It really is a pleasure to be here with all of you today, and I'm sorry that we're not able to join each other in person, but as Kristen said, this really provides an opportunity for us to join from around the world um, and hear about the way forward. For sure, the last year and a half has disrupted every facet of our, of our daily lives, and this has, not, uh, has been no different for development. So I would just say that conferences such as this one really are a great platform for discussion, for thinking outside the box, and to think about how we can find a way forward to build a more equitable, healthy, and prosperous world. So thank you for having me here today. I'm really pleased to help share the vision of the Biden-Harris administration and the way forward at USAID. Thanks so much, Michelle. Yeah, let's dive into some questions. Um, to start, if you could just talk a little bit more about AID's overview and priorities and discuss what, how you're seeing the future of global development. So thank you, Kristen, for the question. And this is actually such a timely question. Um, I want to start, though, by going back to uh, the early spring when the NSC and the White House released the Interim National Security Strategy. And in that strategy, it laid out 
several core priorities which have led the work of the interagency and continue to be key and central. The first was addressing and, and uh, responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. The second is responding to climate change. The third is the growing rise of authoritarianism, supporting democracies and the anti-corruption agenda. And the fourth priority as we see it is the diversity, equity and inclusion um, and accessibility activities. All this is done within the context of a changing geopolitical landscape and USAID has, uh, was placed on the NSC officially, which has elevated our role in bringing the development voice to that table as well. So to build on this, Administrator Power last month gave a speech at Georgetown University where she laid out a new vision for global development. And in that speech, she identified several key policy priorities for our agency and our work. The first was to broaden our coalition to allow people from more diverse backgrounds and partners of all kinds to participate in our mission. The second is to shift our thinking to be more focused on the voices and needs of the most marginalized and vulnerable. And then third was to continue our focus on confronting the global challenges as laid out by the interim national strategy, national security strategy. I just wanna flag that the first two priorities are also central to USAID's diversity, equity and inclusion strategy, which she signed on her very first day in office. This was a strategy developed by the career staff at USAID during the Trump administration and then kept alive in the interim transition time and then she was able to sign it. Under this strategy, we articulate an agency-wide approach to improve and enhance diversity throughout the agency. And it looks at strengthening accountability for promoting and sustaining a diverse workforce at the agency. So in order to do that, the administrator laid out a couple priorities. One is that she'll seek to increase our career work workforce by 50% in the next four years to meet the demands, uh, growing demands of development, the complex emergencies that we all know are rising each year, and also to fill the gap because about 90% of the positions in our bureaus for global health, humanitarian assistance, and conflict pre prevention and stabilization are filled by individuals on short-term contracts. Very talented people who are committed to our work have often been at the agency for a very long time, but are hired through short-term contracts. We're also very focused on recruiting, retaining new and different people into the organization, many from underrepresented communities in our workforce. And so we're gonna be increasing our budget for paid internships by 700%, as we know that unpaid internships can be barriers. And in addition, we're gonna double the number of Donald Payne fellowships through Howard University, which will really increase the diversity amongst our career staff. So it, um, our DEI strategy not only looks at enhancing uh, equity within the, within the agency amongst our work, our workforce, but it also makes, makes us think about how we extend this to our programs and our practices. So we wanna leverage strategic partnerships with national and local governments, marginalized communities, civil society, the private sector. And you might've heard the administrator talk about this as a, in, with, under the umbrella of inclusive development. And she set out several ambitious goals, which I'll outline right here. The first one is that 50% of our programming will place local communities in the lead to either co-design the projects, set priorities, drive implementation, or evaluate the impact by 2030. She also talked about strengthening the inclusive development hub, which sits in our Bureau for Development, Democracy, and Innovation, which will expand outreach and engagement with women, children, and youth with a particular focus on girls and marginalized populations, including indigenous communities. Also meeting, expanding outreach to LGBTQ communities, people with disabilities, 
and those with unmet mental health needs. She also is uh, including this focus in our missions. So we will have a foreign service officer in each mission whose primary focus is gender equality and inclusive development. Finally, USAID will double the percentage of missions work that advance gender equality. And we will also um, be deploying a new office of behavioral sciences and experimental economics that will report to a new elevated and expanded chief economist. Finally, I wanna talk about the importance of partnerships and localization. We're really focused on um, shifting the power dynamic between ourselves and our partners. We recognize we cannot do development alone and these challenges are widespread and complex and we must work with partners of all sizes and types from academia to NGOs, to the private sector, to civil society organizations and groups like yours. And so we are currently working with about 3,000 partners to, to uh, implement our programs. And we wanna continue to do that, but we wanna tap into the expertise and knowledge of people who are living in the communities where we're working. So we're gonna shift the leadership to local actors and institutions. And in order to do that, she's gonna, we're gonna focus on three main objectives. The one is really expanding and enhancing our new partners initiative, which was launched in 2019 which seeks to lower the barriers faced by non-traditional partners. And in order to do this, we've launched workwithusaid.org, which is a one-stop website, which connects new and existing partners to USAID partnerships and helps people understand how to bid on our contracts and awards. We also um, are gonna really put this to work um, as a pilot in Central America. And through this initiative in Central America, we're gonna be um, devoting $300 million to work directly with local organizations in El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras over the next five years. And then um, finally, we have committed to contribute a quarter of all of our funds directly to local partners in the next four years. This work will be grounded in a new local capacity building strategy that will be released imminently, I think today or tomorrow for public comment. So we are very committed to thinking about new ways of doing the work that we're already doing. That's fantastic, Michelle. It's very exciting to hear the, the new and, and initiatives coming out of AID, especially the, the country-led development, the new partnerships. I think that's something the global Washington community uh, has been looking for. So that's really exciting. We'll, we'll be looking into that website and, and more of that information soon. So can you go back and you said you're talking about the priorities of AID and can you talk more specifically about AID's role in stopping the COVID pandemic? So the COVID pandemic has been a priority for us since day one. Um, it was a priority during the last administration, it's a priority for this administration and we have been central to that effort. We've responded in more than 120 countries with over $9.3 billion in funding from the United States and USAID. So uh, first, let me just say a couple of things is that um, on July 1st, the White House released the COVID-19 response and recovery framework and USAID helped develop that and it lays out the vision for a whole government approach. Our programs are not only addressing how to deliver vaccines and get shots in arms, but also on how to protect and train health workers, disseminate key public health information, address the secondary impacts of COVID, including food insecurity and humanitarian needs, and then also ensuring that basic services and socioeconomic support are available. So we know though that vaccines are one of the most effective tools to end the pandemic 
And as you have probably followed, the United States is, has donated more than 1.2 billion COVID-19 vaccines to countries most in need, with 300 million of them already shipped. So they will be coming online in the coming months. So in order to support the deployment and the um, uptake of these vaccines, just on Monday, um, USAID hosted the Development Ministerial and Administrator Power announced the foundation of a new whole of government effort called the Initiative for Global Vaccine Access, or Global Vax, which will accelerate efforts to, uh, to enhance and expand vaccine preparedness. So we've already committed more than $1.3 billion for vaccine readiness, with um, about 750 million of that through USAID. But this will uh, commit an additional $400 million of the American Rescue Plan Act funds to further augment this work. So we're now currently following up with partners other donor countries to get them to join us in this effort and to think about how we can really focus on a set number of countries to move this work forward. Um, this work was all done within the context of the president's um, COVID summit, which he held during UNGA. Then Secretary Blinken had his ministerial and our ministerial followed up on both of those actions. We expect that the president will have another summit in the early 2022 where other countries will come forward with their commitments. And we have an ultimate goal, all of us, which was affirmed by many, many, many in the G20, the G7, other fora, to ultimately reach our goal of vaccinating 70% of the world by September, 2022. But I just wanna be clear that we are a development agency that not just fights specific diseases, although that is really important, but we've also seen that decades of progress have been unraveled by this pandemic. And we are concerned that the SDGs are no longer within our reach. So we are also committing resources and shifting our existing funds to help address some of the underlying impacts. And I'll just give one example, which is that we are working very hard to keep kids in school, help people find work, prevent democratic backsliding and address gender-based violence. And despite these widespread school closures that we all saw all around the world, USAID programs have reached more than 24 million learners in 2022 from the pre-primary through secondary levels. And we have done that through a variety of in-person and distance approaches in countries like Guatemala, Vietnam, and Nepal. So we are really quickly looking at the conditions on the ground and shifting our approach so that kids are still learning and getting what they need in their education. I will also say that we're working very closely with our multilateral partners, both through the COVID response. So we're working with Gavi, COVAX, UNICEF, the Global Fund on those work, that work. But on things like the education work, we're working with the Global Partnership for Education. Education cannot wait. And then other foundation partners like Lego and others. That's so great. And thanks for mentioning the sustainable development goals. Obviously, that's that's a central theme for the conference today. And we're all um, the, the goal makers here are really mm -hmm. looking at to get those SDGs back on track as well. Um, and it's going to be so important in this time of COVID. As you mentioned, it has so many aspects underneath it. Um, but in addition to, to COVID, climate change impacts all of us in the global development community. And AID draft climate strategy was recently opened for, open, for public comment. Can you tell us more about this vision and approach to the climate crisis? Sure, I'm happy to do that. I think 
Um, this administration has recognized that the climate change um, crisis is impacting everything. And it was one of the first summits that the president held back in April to really try to get the climate goals back on track for COP26. I, I, COP20, COP26. Um, I would just say that this administration is addressing climate change in two very different ways from what we've done in the past. The first is that we really understand that climate considerations must be taken account into account across all of our work. So for example, um, if you look at the new Feed the Future uh, strategy, um, we have a very big focus on climate smart agriculture. And there are not only agriculture and food security goals in that plan, but there are also climate change goals. Um, we are doing very similar things across our education, our infrastructure, human, humanitarian assistance and other policies. And we will continue to do that to make sure that we're taking into account climate change amongst other things. And then the other thing I would say is that the, the April summit really demonstrated that the administration is really expecting that agencies in the administration are working together. So there were many plans released at that session and they're all about interagency work. So I'll just say our new uh, climate strategy is very bold. Uh, we have many targets, including preventing 6 billion tons of CO2, supporting 500, 500 million people adapting to climate impacts and protecting 100 million hectares of critical landscapes. For us, we are very committed to mobilizing $150 billion in climate finance. We expect to do that in collaboration with the development, uh, US Development Finance Corporation and others. And we're also looking to support structural changes that improve the participation and leadership of indigenous peoples, local communities, and women and youth in climate um, action. I just want to say we have already launched a couple things. We've helped to stand up the Agricultural Innovation Mission for Climate, along with interagency partners to catalyze climate smart ag and innovation in food systems. We announced seven new clean energy programs that will establish net zero energy grids across many regions. And we also um, announced several new climate solution programs worth more than 50 million that will reduce deforestation in all the major ecosystems around the world. We're also proud to play a leading role in the president's emergency plan for adaptation and resilience, which was announced at COP26, which is a coordinated whole of agency approach to serve as a framework for adaptation programs to keep us online to meet the sustainable development goals. There they are again. So I just wanna say that we are very excited about this. We also are focused on, as I said earlier, women and youth um, engaging in our climate programs and we look forward to uh, being a leader in that space, over. Thank you, Michelle, it's, it's so important. And as, as we travel, the, those that are global development practitioners, it's interesting to talk to people and ask them about climate impacts and it does often go into food security and land rights and other issues. So it's fantastic to hear AID's approach in that. Um, can you also uh, discuss, we've really witnessed in recent years, the steady decline in democracy. Can you talk about AID's role and what you all are doing to counter this? So that is, as I said earlier, one of the, the additional priorities for us. And this week is a particularly important time for us because we are holding, uh, this administration is holding the Summit for Democracy to, uh, tomorrow and Friday, um, where we'll be pulling together virtually um, leaders across the world from civil society, foundations, the private sector, and other countries who want to move into a community and a world um, that is more supportive of democracy and moving away from authoritarianism. 
This is a really big concern for us and our administrator, Administrator Power, is really focused on this issue in these areas. We are the world's largest contributor USAID is to democracy assistance and we really see it as one of our bedmark, bedrock projects because we have country platforms that work with civil society, government, all kinds of institutions to um, enable our development goals. So um, right now we're doing a bunch of stuff to try to really move this forward with specific focus on civil society, independent media, elections and political processes, rule of law, governance and DRG integration into all of our development work. We're building new partnerships at the country level and at regional levels to move these agendas forward. Um, we've launched a global defamation defense fund to protect journalists against lawsuits meant to deter them from doing their work. And we've also recently stood up an anti-corruption task force that is engaging and is supporting the US government anti-corruption strategy, which was released on Monday. So I think we, you will see many new uh, initiatives come out of the D Summit for Democracy over the next couple uh, days. And um, we are expecting that there will be then a year of action following today's summit. And then in a year from now, we'll hold another summit to take stock of where we are. So we're, we're pretty busy at USAID, but committed to, I think, all of the issues that are central to really uh, reaching and hoping to get us back on track with the SDGs. Michelle, this is so great. Um, I, I, it just feels like a renewed commitment to the global development, the, the whole of government approach to the sustainable development goals and uh, feeling more open to partnerships, which I think is it really resonates with our global development community, both, again, the US-based NGOs, but also the civil society in low and middle income countries that we're all looking, looking to work with. So um, this is fantastic. Michelle, anything else you would like to say as we we're coming to the end of our time, but anything else you wanna leave with this group? I just want to say thank you to this group for all the work that you do to really advocate for the SDGs and to advocate to get us back on track. Um, without your voices across the country, um, we will, would not be successful. And I think we just want to say thank you for all the work you're doing. We also want to thank you for pushing the agency to be the best agency it can be. Um, we're very committed to the, to the mission that we have, but it is the pushing and the encouragement we receive from all of you that keeps us um, innovating and trying to do even better. So thank you again for all you're doing. Good luck tomorrow um, and look forward to hopefully seeing you next year. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Michelle. Thanks. Well, Have a good afternoon. Thank you. Well, this all sounds pretty wonderful. The world is at a precipice and local development projects certainly need this kind of top-down programmatic and financial support. Many thanks to Michelle Sumilas for the conversation and to the Biden-Harris administration for their progressive leadership. In our next episode, Kristen Daly interviews Stephen Sarah, Senior WASH Advisor and Team Lead at Save the Children. WASH stands for Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene. Our member Save the Children has a long history with clean water and WASH programs in the international settings where they work. Steve describes the history, motivations, and impact of their work with examples and lessons learned. Those wash systems to other integral systems like the health system, the education system, the agriculture systems of a country. And I think a lot of really interesting work is happening, well, that saved the children, but also in the wider sector on integrating those systems and um, 
and realizing the co-benefits of, of Thank you for joining us for Goalmakers, a podcast about world affairs and global development. For more information about our thriving global development community, global news and events, visit www.globallaw.org. Until next time, take care and